Before you dive into this exciting episode, I'd like to let you know about the Squash Playbook, your tactical blueprint for success. The playbook is written based on the most common solutions I have given to the people I coach over the last 20 years. It is the ultimate how-to guide for any squash fan, and you can grab a free copy right away by visiting squashplaybook.com or clicking on the link in the show notes. Are you freaked out by that hard-hitting hacker? Frustrated with running out of ideas against the relentless retriever? Want to close out matches more clinically when in the lead? Or do you need some mental tools to overcome bad calls by referees? These answers plus many more have been brought together all in one place for the squash community. The Squash Playbook is a practical toolkit that breaks down over 40 scenarios that are most commonly faced on the court. Each scenario provides the psychology and the strategy needed to get a positive result. Each chapter wraps up with the top six key points to keep things simple and practical. The aim of the book is to transform reactive players into proactive tacticians. I focus on breaking down complex situations into straightforward, effective strategies for those high pressure moments in a match. So why not grab your copy now and step onto the court next time with a clear head and a set of strategies to win those matches you know you're capable of. Please enjoy the show. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to your next installment of the Squash Mind podcast series. I hope you are enjoying some of the chats I'm having so far with some of these amazing athletes, psychologists, sports scientists, and strength and conditioning coaches. And if you are enjoying them, please spread the word, please get more people to listen, and hopefully it's helping you along your way with looking at parts of your life and looking at parts of your game to make you mentally tougher and more resilient. So on the show today, I am delighted to welcome Mark Campbell. Mark Campbell is arguably one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world, if not the best. Worked with multiple range of sports, of athletes, Olympians, rugby teams, Paralympians, Commonwealth athletes, and in particular squash players. And that's where our conversation leads us to today. He became most notable in the squash world for doing a lot of work with Nick Matthew uh, and getting him to 
win the Commonwealth gold medal. Obviously, Nick did that himself, but Mark Campbell was a big part of his injury rehabilitation and getting him to peak performance to win this gold medal, plus a bunch of other tournaments. And we all know Nick, I think. Uh, Laura Massaro is one of his clients. Uh, he worked very closely with her. Currently working with Marwan Al-Shabagi, plus he's worked with a whole range of other squash players right at the top end of the field. And we go into a little bit of detail in our discussion of who he's worked with and what he's currently doing in his line of work. So his CV is absolutely amazing. Uh, for a quick rundown, he was born and grew up in New Zealand and he moved to the UK in 2007 to further his strength and conditioning career. He worked for four years with the Highlanders Super Rugby team between 2003 and 2007. So those of you who know Super Rugby and in particular know the Highlanders, we're talking the real pinnacle of the game of rugby. Many of the players play internationally for the All Blacks, so he was working really closely with some of the highest level rugby players in the world and world champions. He is the Senior Strength and Conditioning Coach at the English Institute of Sport, and he started that job in 2007 when he moved to the UK and is currently still there. He set up his own company called Moving Strong in 2016, and he's now doing a lot of mentoring of other coaches as well as having private clients he works with directly. So our conversation here today tries to make a link and a bridge between the physical side of what he does and the mental toughness alongside what I'm trying to look at and investigate. And we explore a whole bunch of different routes about beliefs, habits, behaviors, what, what he is expecting from his athletes, what he really looks at in attention to detail from different age groups and how he focuses differently on, on different athletes and different skills and different abilities. And I think you're going to be able to take a lot of motivation, insight from this chat between myself and Mark Campbell. I massively enjoyed it and put me slightly out of my comfort zone because I was really trying to bring the conversation towards the mental side of the game and Mark is very strong in the physical side of the game and physical training. There is going to be some overlap of course and I think they do overlap but the whole idea about trying to get Mark on was to investigate the side of the performance, the physical overlapping to the mental and I think we do a pretty good job of it. The conversation as always takes a few divergent parts. We go down a few rabbit holes talking about where the mental toughness comes from, how we can foster it, what things that he notices within athletes that he sees exhibit mental toughness. And he's just a just a great thinker, really goes into some good detail about what he's done, what he's currently doing in his career, and what he's looking forward to and some of the future projections. So, you know, working with uh, a lot of Olympians that are going to go to the Tokyo 2021 Games if, if they do go ahead with this pandemic. So I think he's got a lot of insight and hopefully you can take a lot of knowledge from this really cool chat, I think, with myself and Mark Campbell. Mark Campbell, welcome to the next episode of the Squash Mind podcast series. How are you keeping? I'm very well, thanks, Jesse. Very well. Cool, man. Um, yeah, no, great to have you on the show. I think, um, like we were saying before we started recording, uh, we've never crossed paths, but but in the squash world, there's a small squash world, and 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 yeah, your reputation does precede you in a very positive way. So thanks for spending some time with me today, and yeah, really really keen to dive into uh, a few chats about the, the physical and psychological components of of what I'm looking at at the moment. But I think a good place to start would be to give um, a brief background uh, to your journey and how you got to this point in your career. Um, yeah, so obviously um, it's a New Zealand accent that you're listening to. Um, I uh, it was educated in New Zealand um, 
at our, our main sports science university and was involved in rugby union, which is no no big surprise, being a Kiwi. Um, so played played rugby a lot, but then uh, started along the physical conditioning route and and worked as a SNC coach in, in that field. Um, sort of finally realising sort of uh, the the ultimate goal of being a head strength and conditioning coach for one of the Super Rugby sides in the in the um, Super Rugby competition in Southern Hemisphere with the Highlanders. So that was a fantastic four years with them. And then after after that ended, I uh, looked overseas and uh, the UK was a was an obvious um, obvious target. And the English Institute of Sport being known for its, well, obviously the system that it was developing, uh, although still fairly young, was developing an impressive system as far as uh, mm. sports science and sports medicine support to athletes. And that was something I thought, well, that'll be a nice step up. I had other opportunities over in the UK with uh, with professional rugby, but I felt like the uh, um, the Olympic Commonwealth sports was something that could really start to ch- challenge my skills and then take me in a, in a different way development-wise. And it's been, a, it's been a really good ride. And obviously the squash side of things, um, a squash player myself from a, from a young age, probably about the age of 14, 15, when my mother introduced me to it. So really passionate about that. Um, worked with a few squash players in New Zealand, not of any not of any note, had, had some interaction with some of the world-ranked players, but um, certainly uh, coming to the UK in 2007, being introduced to to Nick Matthew and then being told that I was the one that was going to be providing his strength and conditioning support was a bit of a dream come true and sort of it just uh, it just grew from there and obviously yeah obviously um as much as I've created a, a, a positive reputation in relation to what I do in the squash world I think um it's been very much um supported by and and enhanced by the fact that I work with such a great athlete as Nick initially because he educated me a lot on on the, that level of squash as well and and what really went into it physically and then also, and how to support him in doing that. Amazing. And did how did that relationship start with Nick? Was that through the EIS or did he contact you individually? No, that's through the EIS. So because Nick's a, um, an England funded squash player, mm-hmm. um, England squash through their their uh, access to English Institute of Sport yeah. pr- service provision identified Nick as a, as a key athlete and therefore he got access to our services and and I was because I was the incoming um, senior SNC coach in the area the key podium athletes which Nick was one of in Sheffield he was uh, assigned to me and then that's that's how I went from there so literally literally I I think I was here in May for my in May 2007 for my interview and I was wanting to know if there was any a squash club in Sheffield that I could play because I wanted a bit of a you know a bit of a you know establish a life in the place I'm, I'm moving half around the world too and um no one knew no one else knew and I said why do you not know this about Sheffield I said oh but go ask this guy Nick Matthew he's just in the physio room so I went and stood over him while he's lying out stretching probably frightened the life out of him being six foot three and a hundred kilos at the time he said Nick Nick is there, is there a good squash club in Sheffield he said yeah there's a good one it's called the Hallamshire yeah so uh so our lives have uh, our lives have been linked very early on in the process yeah amazing intertwined at, at a very early stage so yeah. let's um let's go back a little bit so your rugby playing career can you can you talk on that and and, and what level did you get to like where did that go? um it's it's kind of hard to explain because we talk about club rugby in new zealand club rugby is very very they talk about club rugby over here and that's the very very top level okay. club rugby in new zealand you're probably you're probably three or four tiers down and i was probably two or three steps away from playing any sort of representative rugby so i was just mm-hmm. playing for a, a local club um yeah still a fairly high level still had to train extremely extremely hard and, and probably I probably trained because of my my studies and my passion for SNC I probably explored the physical qualities and attributes that I needed to play as at, at the highest level I possibly could unfortunately I wasn't blessed with great endurance but no speed and then rugby <laughs> even, even back in the the 1990s when I was playing speed was still an essential element so that didn't yeah. take me too far yeah. um yeah so yeah um yeah so it was certainly um you know, and I think, I think 
my limitations, however, were positive in the fact that it made me aware of, you know, there are some things physically that athletes do just do just have, and especially at the top level, we see a lot of athletes do amazing things. And to some degree, it is it is um, well hereditary. Yeah. Um, and and so, but you know, in and obviously understanding my own limitations and trying to still play at a high level of a sport, I had to explore, okay, how can I mm-hmm. overcome those limitations or how can I play to my strengths, especially yeah. in a sport like rugby where, and there is some, there's some similarities, I'm sorry, not similarities in relation to the contact and the sport itself, but there's some similarities in how you overcome a physical weakness and say something like rugby, mm-hmm. uh, same as in squash, because there's other, you know, in, in rugby, you can play in a different position that suits you. In squash, you mm-hmm. can develop incredibly high levels of skill, that actually mean the physical component isn't as demanding on you because you're actually you're actually challenging your opponent and putting yourself into winning positions in a, in a different way. Yeah, just, no, than, just the, than just the physical side. Yeah, I, I love that and totally relate to it. It's 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 you know as a coach now and and playing an an average level of pro, there was a lot of weaknesses that that I had, but actually it it it's shaped my journey into actually these were my problems and can I can I impact other players by researching what I struggled with and have that positive effect on them so I, I yeah I really really resonate with that and, and it sounds great and so and then briefly your squash background so you said started playing 14 15 what, what was your process there yeah yeah so that, that was an introduction by my mother I'd played tennis for a, for a much longer period in my younger life but yeah and then just playing at the at my mother's club and then um when I went to university um I played rugby for the majority of my time at university but then once I sort of started transition more into looking at my career rather than sport that's when I started to pick up squash as my main sport because mm-hmm. rugby was a bit um, relatively dangerous and obviously being in a physical job I needed to be able to demonstrate and and stay physically healthy to deliver my deliver my work and my, my professional sort of um goals and aspirations so squash was a much a much uh, gentler form of um well <laughs> less risky i can obviously you still injure yourself but um it's not by someone else trying to rip the head off um uh yeah and so yeah played played sort of at club level squash and probably um yeah i, I played to a fairly good level and you know obviously again the physical side was something that i engaged with a lot and preparing myself physically to be a, a you know be able to handle the level of squash i could play and hopefully enhance that level mm-hmm. i think my my physical capabilities on the squash court far outweighed my skill level okay. most most of my matches of squash weren't demanding on me from a physical point of view because my skills couldn't couldn't keep sure. up yeah. Level. So that was that was very interesting for me when I came well my, my one funny story is I came to I was probably playing you know in my region I was probably playing in my top team in my club and playing at a good level I was probably playing number two or three in the team I came to Yorkshire went, played my first match for the Hallamshire in a Yorkshire Yorkshire league played number five in the third team down and got absolutely whipped <laughs> and uh, I was told yeah Yorkshire's probably one of the strongest squash regions in the world and I was like oh right okay that makes okay that would explain yeah. that um, but yeah, that, that sort of reference I made to, again, the physical side and the skill level interaction was a really intriguing thing for me. And it has been it has been for my entire time in squash and many other sports as well. Mm-hmm. So I want to explore that a little bit more in a moment. But in regard to you meeting Nick early on, which other squash players have you then been able to work with over the, over the next few years up until maybe um, any players you've got at the moment under your under your um, um, currently my roles change in, in the, within the EIS that I don't I don't deliver to funded athletes as such I other I, I supervise other SNC coaches and doing that across the sports um, in the in the northern region Manchester Leeds and Sheffield but um I, I've worked with uh, Laura Masari, James Wallstrop, Alistair Walker, Adrian Grant, um, <laughs> Madeline, Madeline Perry, um, 
uh, gosh, at the moment, but privately because I, because I no longer um, deliver through my work. I, I, I work with Marwan El Shabagi, nice. um, which has been which has been interesting uh, because obviously it gives you that insight into the into the world of the country that's dominating the sport. Yeah. Um, and then um, yeah, so those those are the main ones. And each each in the, each athlete in their own respects brings a different challenge. There's these common themes within preparing them physically and, and to some degree psychologically to deal with the physical duress that that you're um, that comes with the, the sport of squash at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly each individual presents some interesting uh, interesting um, challenges to, yeah. to, support, to support them in, in that environment. Yeah, I can imagine. So let's let's maybe explore that a little bit because you, you have alluded to the fact of physical capabilities to players and how you maybe have to adapt. So can you shine more of a light on it? Can you give some examples of, of how you've had to work with different players? And I suppose one of the questions I had later on, but we can maybe explore now, it's when you work with those different age ranges, you know, the young pro or, or like the under 19, the young pro or the seasoned yeah. person. Yeah. Talk, talk to me about, about your process there because yeah, I'm super curious with that. I think um, and there's some great work done before I came into the EIS around squash and um, obviously Manchester's the main hub site and there was a, um, a lead SNC coach. So I was just delivering to um, athletes that were in other regions outside of Manchester, particularly Sheffield, obviously, um, and, and other athletes that approach, um, approached the sport to, to work with me. Um, but yeah, there's some very good SNC coaches. Uh, Matthew Cook, who's now with the Manchester, well, he's, he's with um, Manchester City Football Group, and, and then Keith Barker following that, and now Nathan Wells. Matthew Cook, in particular, set up a very nice, um, did a lot of testing around various physical qualities that underpin squash performance and uh, just basic physical characteristics that really allowed a, a great description and focus, especially for young athletes, on what's the critical things to build at that age that are going to support you in climbing the pyramid and therefore climbing the world rankings and, and um, squash levels um, as they as they mature mm-hmm. um, you know simple things like just being strong um, just getting a good aerobic fitness level behind you are absolutely critical for those young athletes so you know when I work with younger athletes um, that's probably two of the key things that we make sure that we're touching on regularly and often and consistently even if there's a even if there's a relatively high competition schedule but also probably the, the one thing that sort of has is fairly apparent and I'm sure I'm sure you'll agree Jesse the level you've played at is the ability to move through large ranges with strength um, when you're challenged to be in some pretty interesting positions. I mean, some of the still shots I've seen of people like Thierry Yonku or yeah. Greg Gaultier or even Nick Matthew to some degree, when they're in those those really challenging positions re- retrieving a ball, I, I would imagine they don't even know they've gotten to that position. Yeah, they've, they've gotten in and gotten out so strongly. So there's a real need to make sure the body can handle that. Um, and that's about a... So that's, that's shaped my approach to some degree. And then as, you know, establishing that strength, strength and aerobic foundation then leads into more specific sort of qualities around repeated high intensity work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the, as, as they climb the pyramid, there's the real need to have clarity around how the level of squash starts to interact as, mm-hmm. a, as, a, as a, something that's going to help develop those physical qualities as well. Um, and I think that's probably in regards to sort of my comments previously about my skill level and it not being physically tough for me, it is completely the opposite for a top level squash player. I mean, the, the amount of work that they even get out of just a regular training session because of the skill level physically is quite high. Yeah. So, and, and then when you consider next 
really great example in this, and probably James Northrop to some degree. You know, when Nick was in his pomp between probably 2009, after he got over his shoulder surgery, through to 2014, 2015, mm-hmm. the guy was getting to semifinals and finals of the toughest squash competitions, pretty much as a given. You just know Nick Matthews is going to get to that level. If he has a, he might have a blip one tournament a year, that would annoy him. That wouldn't happen again. Yeah. Um, so that means that he's getting an exposure to the most intense physical preparation he can have in a sport obviously you need to be ready to deal with that and be able to go to that space but that's the sort of thing that elevates his that sort of that's the sort of thing that elevates an elite squash player's performance to the top level and there's nothing I can really deliver that can mimic that I can certainly help to support them being able to cope with it and then take advantage of that environment but yeah so that's that's sort of more that's sort of my that's sort of a bit of a short, brief description of how you consider that that transition and, and what you need to think about. Oh, it's absolutely fascinating to hear, you know, someone in your field break it down like that, and it just gives such clarity. But this probably links a lot to my next question, and 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 I suppose the the essence of, of the conversation I want to have with you today and talk about Nick at that point, and you know, we've got examples of of James and and all these top players, Laura. Um, so, shining a light a little bit more on, on the mental toughness side of things, what, in mm. your opinion, is the link between physical and mental toughness what can you expand on that oh wow um <laughs> yeah, yeah and obviously i'll probably i've uh, because of the the demanding nature of the role that i i have when you're working with an elite athlete at that level you know you really have to consider all aspects and you and if you're going to do your job due diligence you know i could have just said i could have just said you know my role says i have to deliver two gym sessions to nick a week mm-hmm. and that's what i'm required to do however in relation to the relationship i developed with nick and also what I he kept, the information he kept giving me, because Nick likes to talk, if you didn't know that. Um, so he was always feeding me so much information. I was thinking, oh, man, I've got to support you here, here, and here. Um, so in that respect, it was about understanding the, the entire environment. But then um, from a physical and mental point of view, I think as a younger squash athlete, it's about developing the, the mental consistency to engage in the physical process. That in itself is going to give you sort of resilience and it's going to um, develop an ability to really focus and uh, I guess just keep pushing consistently to mm-hmm. slowly build up your capabilities. And there's a real mental um, mental aspect to that. Um, you've, you've got to commit, you've got to focus, you've got to make sure you, you understand where you're going and you, you set your goals, et cetera, et cetera. And that can always be done in tandem with other people. And then, you know, the tough sessions are going to challenge you mentally as much as physically. Mm-hmm. So you'll see, I've seen it a lot with some young athletes and one coming through at the moment, Nick Wall, he's, mm-hmm. he's very much got that attitude and that willingness. It's, you literally don't have to push them. I see. Yeah. You know, people see SNC coaches yelling and screaming at their athletes. Well, I would, I would ask the question about how motivated those athletes are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, whereas someone like Nick, you know, he's, yes, there'll be tough sessions where he needs a bit of a push, but he's always wanting to challenge himself and, and at the right time appropriately to really challenge himself mentally mm. um, under physical duress, which is obviously quite key. Yeah, I think I think there's such an overlap there. And, and, and there's a couple of things that, that come out of that that I want to talk about. Firstly, maybe the the intrinsic motivation of athletes, the, the way someone like Nick, you know, you're not going to have to scream and shout at him, but, but he'll come to it himself. But before I get to that... I, what's your viewpoint it sounds like 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 you're quite strong in this your relationship with your athletes you know someone like nick and and how you have formed those those bonds with those athletes to be able to um ideally make them buy into what you're doing yes they under eis funding and, and almost they have to be there but would you say the relationship with the athlete is, is a huge part around the mental side of the the, the process as well 
Yeah, 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 definitely. Um, and we always talk about SNC, you know, um, we're the only sports science discipline that has the word coach after our, our title. Okay. So, and, and within coaching, obviously, the, the, the relationship piece and, and um, that interaction is absolutely fundamental. Um, so being able to, I mean, when, considering what I'm asking athletes to do, um, there has to be a huge element of trust and respect, uh, not only the person, not only as, as a person, um, but also in the fact that you're invested into their into their goals and their aspirations as well. Mm-hmm. And, and once you can once you can get to that stage, then I think most athletes are gonna are gonna push themselves and trust you, and and they they believe in what you're gonna do. I guess the other piece in a relationship is just making sure that you keep open dialogue as well. Mm-hmm. I think that gives an athlete sort of a, a reassurance that this is someone that's really listening to them. I'm just trying to understand them, yeah. not just in relation to the sport um, and, and putting them putting just general general principles in play, but actually understanding how they approach it and, and how they feel. Um, but the relationship is really key. And I, I suppose, you know, there's different approaches. I've always been a fairly personal person. I, 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 I don't mind admitting that I've probably, a lot of my athletes are very good friends yeah. um, and I've got really good relationships with them. Um, that doesn't mean, you know, but I've always managed to maintain that, level of professionalism as well and the athletes know that that when it's time to do the job we do the job and there's there's never much there's never much sort of doubt around that process yeah. I, I had an interesting situation in regards to that with um a young athlete ashley davies who probably he probably reached about you know just outside yeah. the top 100 of the world and he helped us with an interview process and some recruitment within the eis around in, in squash and he sort of said he, we get, they asked him for some feedback on some of the candidates. He said, "Oh, yeah, they're nice guys, and you know, I can relate to them and stuff like that." But um, and I was in the room. But you know, when you walk into the gym with Mark Campbell, and he referred to Keith Barker as well, who's the former head of SNC, yeah. you're just a little bit you're just a little bit scared, in, in a good way, because <laughs> when, when Mark and Keith ask you to do something, it is expected that it's done, and so and it's a very respectful sort of. It's not it's it's, it's, it's not intimidation or anything like that. It's, it's just this level of. Um, like determination from us mm. that we want the best for you and this is what you need to do and so the athletes recognize that and it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting relationship in that respect so when when you hear something like that do you turn around and go you know what i'm i'm on the right track yeah i'm doing my job and getting your benchmarks where you think they should be yeah and uh, yeah yes yeah that's actually really that's a really good description jesse the benchmarks you know my standards of what i expect are are clearly um, being understood by the athletes that I'm working with. Mm. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, you, you know, that just because those standards are very high and very demanding and, and tough, obviously, that doesn't mean that I can't have a good interpersonal relationship that's friendly. And, you know, I, people can throw banter at me and make fun of me yeah. and, and vice versa. But when work, when, when it gets to time to work, the work's going to be done. And um, there's no doubt about that. So yeah, it's obviously you're not ruling by fear, but like like Ashley described it perfectly, there's that yeah that slight bit of uh, <laughs> nervousness of what what we're getting yeah. into. Yeah, <laughs> nervousness. That's a good description. Yeah, yeah. and just um, in regard to you, obviously the physical side is is huge, and you you've made a career in studying it and going deep within it and and really looking at where are you at in regard to looking at the psychology of sport and and how interested are you in in in, in the mind and 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 those areas of of the athlete's performance. Um, uh, I, I guess probably from my point of view, because because I've had I've had such a large portfolio of athletes, it has been very much about the physical. But I suppose in my interactions with um, well Nick in particular, it, it it probably depends much on the athlete. Like Nick, obviously, 
created a team around him that covered all aspects. And one of the things that I think he did an exceptional job of alongside a fantastic performance psychologist was really explore that as something that could unlock his real potential. And I think that was probably the key, to tell you the truth. Like mm-hmm. I, I get a lot of plaudits and, and you know a lot of credit for for Nick. And obviously he's known as a very physical athlete, but he was in he was already a fantastic physical specimen. We just tweaked things. But the thing that he explored really a lot around the psych- psychology side was really optimizing his strengths. Mm-hmm. But within that um, his ability to then bring me that information around how he's thinking about things physically and then how can I uh, challenge that psychology physically mm. um, not only within the gym not only in non-specific ways but how can we create things on a squash court that mimic some really hard sessions we've done off the squash court and put them under that psychological duress so that's probably my engagement in the psychology piece is like how can we how can we put physical duress onto someone to challenge their psychological state um, within probably a sports specific um, environment. So, you know, and, and obviously I've been very lucky, Jesse, in the English sport, we have, we have exceptional specialists. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't branch into nutrition. I don't branch. I work with the physio. I don't branch. I don't, um, I don't work in those areas, but I work alongside those people very, very uh, tightly to, to really deliver the best for the athlete. Yeah, no, I, I really love how you you bring that in. That's maybe, again, credit to Nick about his self-awareness, him coming to you and talking to you. He's very open with how he wants to talk. He loves to go into those minor details. But obviously, you, you're there focusing on his physical side. But along the way, you're picking up maybe nuances in his conversation about what he's saying mentally. And then you're using that as, as the whole package to build. And would, would that be accurate in saying that that's how you started to build his physical side and then link it to mental? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, th- I mean, we, we're always focused on that physical side, but then, I mean, the thing that that Nick did well as a great example is that within that team he communicated exceptionally well, and it's, it's probably a little bit different with um, with a squash athlete who are very much the they're, they have to own their program, understand it, and optimize it for themselves. Whereas a lot of other sports have a lot of the people that feed in, and they'll almost. Uh, guide that a bit more so the squash athlete tends to be in control of that because of the nature of the sport you know you travel and compete on your own so you've got to be aware of what you need to do in all aspects so he was very good at communicating the really key things um, and it was always fascinating as well I was always interested to hear and that's part of the relationship piece you know I was always open to hear these things and explore his thoughts and ideas about how he could optimize how he's integrating all aspects of his team to really yeah. get the best out of them but psychology in particular like I said I think um that was something that really took him to a, to, to the next level. So I'm curious to explore, how do you get athletes to trust and have the ability for them to transfer the work you've done into their performances? Is there, is there conversations around that? Or, or how, do, how do you work that process of the transferability of what you've been working on with them? Um, there's, uh, it's, it's probably the discussions with the athlete around what they physically feel they, they require um, themselves to enhance their performance um i'm sure marlon won't mind me mind me talking about him in this respect um because obviously <laughs> this it's a bit of a strange one you know when you get a world top five player or a top 10 player come to you and say i'd like to work with you so i'm so sometimes i scratch my head and think uh you're pretty good already what do we need to work on <laughs> yeah, but you know marlon was, marlon was quite clear that he wanted to take this step up and he felt the physicality was was that sort of thing so really the process was about okay what what are you good at? What do you feel you're good at physically? And where do you feel the the work-ons are for you? And he could elaborate on that quite clearly. So that's probably the main process, Jesse, is actually talking to your athlete. And then also interacting with the coaches as well, because they'll give a really good insight into um, what they feel their athlete needs. So there were some clear things that we needed to 
Um, we could tick the box on some things. Okay, good at that for, for Marwin. And here's some areas that we're going to explore that we think could enhance mm. enhance um, your performance and take you to take you to another level, hopefully. Mm. And I suppose the big thing, that, and then it's the honesty in, around the messaging because physical changes, you know, at that stage of someone's career, are not a it's not a quick it's not a quick fix. It's about being consistent. It's about um, exploring um, the uh, the stimulus that's going to make those changes over a long period of time. Because obviously, with a congested competition calendar, you don't just get to train for six months and then you make a big physical change and someone comes out completely different, um, like you see maybe in golf with someone like a Bryson DeChambeau. Um, so you know, and 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 once you can have those conversations openly and honestly with an athlete, and they understand that, then I think that starts to build that um, that thought process about how you're going to work together. Together, and then the consistency of the messaging throughout the program. Mm, no, totally get that. I, like, you're lucky enough to have Marwan on the show previously. So yeah, I think I don't think you'll hopefully be <laughs> no no big secrets being given away there. Uh, no. But, but what, what I'm getting from you is the idea of well, not the idea, but but that 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 real clear communication. Like that for me sounds sounds a big one, and that's something maybe younger athletes aren't that good at, or athletes that don't know themselves as much. So how do you how do you go about trying to cultivate that environment of communication? Does it come from you first and foremost? Do you show your levels of communication? But then also, how do you draw that out of your athletes? Um, that's a very good question, actually, because you will get you, there is the challenge with the younger athletes. So they they're not going to know themselves. They're not going to know the approach and how to be young professionals, especially in the squash world. And I think obviously the the, the um, technical coach is going to support that a lot because a lot of times they've had this exposure to this world. From my point of view, from an SNC point of view, um, it's about um, I'll be clear, I'll, I'll know what I want to deliver to an athlete. There'll be, like I said, with the younger ones, it can be a little bit more generic because there is those base physical qualities they have to develop. So it's just about making them really understand what you're delivering and why. Mm -hmm. And then as you get into it more and you can have that uh, interactive dialogue, then it becomes much, it just develops as you go on where it becomes much more a, um, a collaboration. At first, um, it's me telling you what to do. Mm -hmm. and it's me telling you what to do but we're going to talk about it and we're going to understand it then it's both of us talking about what we're going to do and what's coming up and competition etc etc and then so when you get to the level that Nick said it's like right this is what I'm going to focus on can you help me support can you help support this so it's very much you know I, I look at it in four levels like that so it, yeah. it becomes from a, a dictatorial um, point of view but with 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 uh, support and understanding mm -hmm. to the point of view where it's just a complete collaboration or to some degree it's guided by the athlete because you know once you're getting to that elite level um, um, and, and for me, I believe squash athletes probably as, as a broad general um, approach, they probably peak between about 26 and 34. Certainly that was next age range. Between that time, the focus has to be on performance. Mm. And therefore, um, for those younger athletes, the real, the real need is to get them to that place physically where they can take advantage of that, of that time when they're in that, uh, you know, the, the, the top 50 and progressing through that because that's when the physicality of the squash is going to help a lot in developing developing specific um, capabilities physically. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's communication is real key. But it's just that it's just that open and honest dialogue that, and, and trust. Mm -hmm. You know, some athletes will will challenge that, um, and it's about checking and challenging back with open, honest feedback. But most mm -hmm. of the time, I've been pretty lucky with the athletes that I've had in there. Squash, I think, is pretty unique in that because of the fact that it's such a physical sport. I think there's a real um, there's a real understanding that you do need to make sure you've, you're covering you're covering that that base really well. Selling a little or a lot. 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah, I think you've described it perfectly. I think squash players tend to peak at that that later part, you know, 26 plus and, you know, 29. I think at one point the average age of the top 10 is 29. I know some of the Egyptians are bringing that down now, but yeah. um, it almost it almost overlaps lovely where, you know, you get a 29-year-old athlete, their self-awareness is high. They're probably more confident to speak. And so you get that real synergy at that point. But yeah, it would be interesting in, in other sports where, I don't know, maybe some like gymnastics where you have to peak at such a much younger age. And like you said, that dialogue might not be as bad Back and forward it might be more of a more of a you saying how that is and can you expand on that and like different sports yeah, no, that's, how you yeah it, it's, it's interesting you say that and i suppose i suppose in that respect jesse when i think of, when i think about that i think you're probably looking at training age okay. rather than actual um rather than actual uh biological age because i think with gymnastics you're going to be looking at athletes that have been involved in sport at their at their high level at the ages that they tend to peak at you know for girls can be early to mid-teens going into their early 20s and for males you're sort of looking at late teens you know that probably by the time a, a female gymnast is going to the olympics at 15 16 years of age she's probably been training for 12 years i see right okay so in that respect yes and and that the, the biological and maturity factor probably means it is a little bit more directed from a coach but i think once they start to get to that elite level of performance the training age that's required behind that means that there will be a real understanding from the athlete about what's required for them personally to achieve that mm-hmm. and it's probably yeah i mean obviously with squash you're gonna you know you, you probably don't have to have that early specialization as much mm-hmm. um you know pro- it's probably gonna be more like you're starting to really specialize from about the age of maybe 13 14 mm-hmm. with and the years before that are probably just enjoying and having fun and learning how to compete etc cetera, etc cetera. and potentially you're probably not going to engage in a full-on training program so mm-hmm. i think that's where the where the consideration has to be given to training age um yeah, yeah and, and but I've, I've seen it through all sports um and rugby in particular you know you get the young pros just 18 19 physically incredibly talented and can just play at this level but you can't they they just need so much guidance and then then you talk to i mean in my environment the highlanders um all blacks all black captains coming in and you know it's not uh right this is what i'm going to tell you to do certainly you know and those guys are full professionals they'll they'll if they trust you and believe in what you do they'll they'll do what you want them to do but they also are happy to give you feedback and and give you clarity on what works for them and and you've got to listen if you'd, be, you'd, be, you'd be stubborn and stupid not to because you're probably you're going to end up getting better results and better outcomes when they believe in what they're doing and it's 
and and they know themselves probably better than I ever will. Totally. No, it's, it's so awesome to hear, to hear you say that. But I just want to pick up on a point there about early specialization, because as soon as I hear that, my ears prick up because I, I do love that whole topic about it. And I think Nick talks about this a lot, but but you probably saw that thing with Roger Federer a few years ago talking on the, on the was it the US Open, where they said, oh, when should athletes specialize? And he was like, go skateboard, go ride your bikes, go play multiple sports, you know, only take it seriously later on. I know tennis squash is going to be very different to gymnastics. But mm. I think Nick also said that his um, his ability to be more robust later on in his career was possibly because of some of the other sports he did earlier on. So where are you in that regard? Because obviously you, you, you get sports men and women come to you who want to be winning Olympic gold medals, right? Mm. So how do you address that early or late specialization debate? Um, I mean, at the stage, at the stage of I've got them in the past, we're probably at a stage where we're already in the specialization phase. So that, that's been done. I think Nick was a good example in, in understanding his history. Um, his father, um, Headley, was a PE teacher. And I know at a young age, Nick was running cross country and he was doing just light weight circuits with Headley in the home gym and stuff. So as I said before, the fundamental things that I want a young athlete to do is get stronger and have a good aerobic base. I got the perfect starting platform. And obviously by the time I got Nick, he was sort of, he was um, mid to late twenties. So there's a little bit more on top of that basic foundation as well. Um, but it is, it is, there's, there's a need to understand the uh, level of performance required. I mean, I worked in GB boxing for a long period of time and that's, again, that's a really interesting one because by the time they come onto the GB program, they have to be they're, they're, they're national champions most likely within England and with, a, with the boxing history of England that's going to be a fairly high level um, and there is a very much a need to engage in the sport at a very young age to develop the skills the movement patterns the, the techniques that allow you to be able to, to um, uh, compete in such a demanding environment yeah. but there, and, and and that tends to be, it, it, so it, it depends a bit on the sport like I think what you know what Roger Federer refers to is the fact that a sport like tennis, there's such a huge variety of, of motor skills and, and requirements within it. And, and probably squash is fairly similar. That eye-hand coordination can actually be developed in, in a number of different ways. You hear stories about the Williams sisters and, you know, their father used to get them to hit, hit tennis balls with baseball bats and, mm. you know, hockey sticks and whatever else he used to do because it was all just eye-hand sequencing and, and coordination. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is an interesting one. But, you know, at a very young age where it's not critical to, to specialise early you wouldn't want to be putting a lot of pressure on a, on a young athlete to just be focusing on that one sport too intensely. Yeah. I think that, I think there's a psychological piece to that, yes. huge psychological piece. And then the physical processes around that, like up to a certain point in most sports until you get to a point where it's really necessary to make sure that where the intensity gets so high in the sport, squash is a great example, that it really is just about physical foundations and great athletic movement and capabilities. So therefore, uh, engaging in different sports is going to offer you just a wider, I guess, a, a wider range of motor potential mm -hmm. to, to adapt. The best athletes I've seen in rugby union, um, a great example, I've had a couple of young fellows that had done a lot of gymnastics when they're younger and the way they move and roll and get off the ground and just their ability to be aware of their bodies and how they, how they can actually um, use their bodies well in yeah. such, a, you know, such a high contact sport was absolutely incredible, not to mention the incredible strength levels that you develop through gymnastics mm. sort of um, gymnastics sort of training. Mm. Yeah, well, the more you talk there, I don't know if I'm sparking off a few ideas here. Are, are certain sports 
do they lend themselves more to early specialization, 100 meter sprinting, um, swimming, you know, maybe where the environment and the, the decision making is less relevant, but other sports, squash, tennis, rugby union, where there's, a, 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 yes, a physical element, of course, but there's more of a decision making, the variabilities are higher, would that lend itself more to non-early specialization? I, I don't know, I'm just theorizing that as you're talking yeah, about yeah. Yeah, quite potentially. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And I, there's probably something there within the um, the physiological requirements of the sports at, at the very highest level. Like you can have such a mixed range of physical capabilities across those high skill sports mm-hmm. because obviously the skill levels, so that ability to have adaptable motor programs mm-hmm. um, and be able to change what you do in your tactics probably means that a lot of different physical physical character people with different physical characteristics can actually succeed and you contrast someone like um well the ultimate contrast for me would be james willstrop and adrian grant yeah um, not 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 um nothing degrading to adrian's skills but obviously adrian's physical qualities are worth absolutely exceptional incredible mm-hmm. mover fast powerful fit james probably isn't as gifted from a speed point of view incredibly aerobically fit but obviously we know the English Egyptian, um, his skill levels are, are, are fairly unparalleled in that, in that respect. Um, so yeah, I, I probably, I probably agree with you there. And if you look at something like swimming, there is a need to, uh, develop techniques that can withstand high levels of physiological load, um, because it's that, it's the, it's the high levels of uh, physiological load that allows them to then reach their potential as far as the high intensity output of a comp- competitive mm-hmm. environment. Rowing is probably fairly similar. To, it's just a, those high level endurance sports to some degrees. And then when you talk about sprinting, um, yeah, sprinting, the, 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 um, the level of output is absolutely perfection. It's the it's the ultimate combination of timing, skill of massive, massive forces mm. and speed that is is a is such a um, hard skill to acquire. And people don't look at sprinting as a, as probably as a skill based thing, but the timing of that is absolutely exceptional. And you have to engage in that constantly, often in an environment that challenges it at its at its top level, um, mm. or else you're just not going to be able to develop those skills. And so that's why you may have to sort of specialize in that sport a bit earlier. Yeah, oh, it's awesome, awesome little debate, and just, 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 yeah, we can theorize that for quite a bit. Um, you, you, you hopefully can share this, and hopefully, I'm not asking you too much of a deep question. But, uh, do you have any favorite athletes? And when I say not names of people, but, but, but favorite athletes in regard to the sport, as in when you're training them, we go, actually, that type of sport I really resonate squash. Hopefully, but is is there something that comes to mind where you go, the physiological development of that athlete really resonates to you? Oh gosh, I mean, I've, I've probably worked across thirty different sports in my time, and every one of them fascinates me in, in, incredibly. Um, obviously, the skill sports are really, really interesting because of that because of that dynamic between the physical and the skill, and how you can you know you, you can mitigate against weaknesses in one area and, and really and still have a huge performance. Um, oh, I think, oh, gosh, that's a really tough one. Um, being a very being a very slow week sort of athlete myself it's quite funny that my biggest passion is around the strength and power sports okay so the real you know i've worked with skeleton um been involved in bobsleigh as well which you know they're just absolute strength power output but um strength power athletes but i suppose it's i suppose it's that it's that exploration of the of the 
uh, maximal output of a of a physical quality that really intrigues me. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, you know, American football has always has been a passion of mine as well, yeah. and it's quite frightening to consider. You know, rugby, I work in professional rugby union, and some of the guys there, you know, when I was on the sideline of Super Rugby, I used to stand about five minutes back because I was terrified of the the size and speed of the guys. But American football, you're looking at you're looking at men that are 150 kilos running as fast as most most um, backs in, in yeah, rugby union and it's yeah. it's just terrifying and so that re- it's really fascinating to me that the, yeah. the the ultimate potential of human human physical performance yeah. um, why why so why is american football well, just on that point is it further ahead physically than rugby union do you think with the athletes oh, it's, 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 it's the performance it's the performance demands of the sport you know yeah. Six second, six seven second plays. The way the sport's structured in relation, you're protecting a quarterback, so you need these massive men in front um, to attack the quarterback. You've got to be far, so fast, agile, and powerful to get past these big lumps that are in your way. If you're a wide receiver, you've got to have exceptional speed to strip your opponent to be able to get to get into position. It's as the physical demands of the sport. They are essentially pure speed power athletes without much endurance capability. So that means yeah. they can explore it. So, and I suppose it's this is where rugby was so great for me, Jesse, in the fact that rugby requires every every physical quality to be developed in some way shape or form mm-hmm. however i was a um i was a jack of all trades and a master of none because a rugby player is never going to be as strong as they can be they're never going to be as fit as they can be they're never going to be as fast as they can be because of all the conflicting physical qualities mm-hmm. probably probably a little bit like that in squash as well because there's mm-hmm. so many demands whereas an american football or a track and field sprinter you that's what you're doing yeah you're special you're, you're, you're a special you're a physical specialist alongside being a sporting specialist you've yeah. got to, your physical capabilities have to, are defined by this performance outcome mm-hmm. and so that's where you know as, as an snc coach that's what we always going to con- consider so in squash okay this is your performance outcome you've got to be able to uh con- continuously respond to incredibly high intensity efforts in a, in a game of squash to either defend or attack mm-hmm. to be able to win your sport so what are the physical qualities that I'm going to need to develop to actually allow you to, to um, achieve that achieve that outcome? Fascinating, mate. It sounds like the more I'm speaking to you, it's just the, the range that you have to test yourself in is, is just phenomenal. It just sounds like you're just continually stimulated and so many things coming your way. And, and do you work with any American footballers out of interest? Uh, no, no, there's not, not not that sort of uh, not that sort of environment over here. I played it for a year when I was over in London on an overseas okay. experience. It frightened the life out of me. Just <laughs> scary sport. If you're on the offense, you know what you're going to do, and you okay. call your play, and then the defense have called their play. They know what they're going to do, but no, you, you don't know what they're going to do. It's absolutely frightening. And coming from rugby, it was, uh, you know, I thought, oh, yeah, this will be okay. I like contact sports, but some of the, yeah, it's, it's just a different world. Um, what position did you play? I played tight end because I was tall and I could catch a ball. So, you know, get off the end and run into some space and hopefully someone could throw me the ball before I get absolutely smashed. <laughs> would, would, would that be one of your maybe more long-term goals is to get to the NFL and coach over there and coach some of those? Uh, no, no, it's not. It's not It's not an environment I'm sort of, I, I love I love watching it from the outside, but I, th- I think I think there's one, there's one um, reality with the, the real top level of sport. There's some restrictions on what you can do with those top level athletes. Mm. Um, and the fact that, and again, it comes back to the fact that if they've got to the NFL, mm-hmm. if you consider when you look at someone like the NFL Combine and, and the amazing shape they're in when they get there, they're, they're done physically. Yeah, It's really just about making sure they're on the field in, in the optimum shape. So I think there's a there's some restrictions around there. And I've heard, I've heard rumors about, you know, SNC coaches being very limited in what they can do with some of the top players. Because if a top player in the NFL is injured, 
on the bench, if is injured or can't play, that has a huge impact on the financial ramifications of the sport. Oh, wow. and, and that's where that's where it becomes um, that it's a it's a world where you know you're, you're probably not realizing really the true passion of what you do. Whereas it, where, you know, yeah. um, but no, I'm, and I'm happy here in, in the yeah. UK and, and okay. consist, consistently getting challenged challenged in my professional environment. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. cool. Sounds like, and then um, is there is there any sports that you've not touched base with that you might in the future or anything that comes like saying bobsled or skeleton that's really out there? Um, is there is there any sport that you go actually I want to really get to grips with that type of athlete or explore the way they move and and work? Um, um, I mean, I'm quite I'm quite content that I've had a really really full and rich career uh, working across a number of sports. Yeah, probably yeah, you could probably throw like groups of sports at me I probably haven't probably the one I probably haven't worked with a lot um is gymnastics mm. that would probably be because of the fundamental um strength movement flexibility mobility base that that offers um just from a sporting point of view because essentially gymnastics is a form of physical preparation for a lot of people nowadays you know we see everyone engaging in calisthenics and it's all probably a lot of gymnastics based just there, even in the general public um you know and um it almost sits alongside running as a fundamental sort of, you know, running and jumping and throwing. You know, the athletics and if you've got, an, if you've got a young athlete that does some gymnastics and some athletics to a to a fairly high level, they're probably going to have some great physical qualities that will allow them to then engage in specialisation in any sport. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that will probably be the only one. I've worked with a trampolinist, which is a gymnastics discipline, yeah. um, and and divers, which is obviously and, and uh, Olympic level divers, which is obviously. Um, there's gymnastic qualities to that but uh yeah the actual how an ssc coach and i've got a good colleague who works with british gymnastics as, as the lead ssc coach and how an ssc coach integrates into an environment where if you consider the the training and sporting demands are actually going to develop a lot of the physical qualities that an ssc coach would probably work on in other sports is then what do you do to support that performance and training outcome mm -hmm. um, and that's that's the question i think um the eis has really challenged me on right from day day one is okay it's not just about getting into the gym and, and doing this and that but that's an important thing and that's a fundamental thing we're going to do we're going to get athletes strong we're going to condition them as well but it's okay how does it tie into the ultimate performance of what are you considering that you're doing is, is going to be critical to actually supporting and enhancing that performance Mm, yeah, it sounds, sounds like that challenge and stimulation is there, which is great. Um, we, we might have touched on this, but, um, and again, it might not be relevant because of the athletes you, you, you get coming to you, but what habits, attitudes, behaviors do you insist from the athletes you work with? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that's a really good question, actually. I suppose, I, I suppose it's the consistency okay. and, it's, and it's the understanding of... Um, it's, it's getting them to develop and understand themselves and obviously the training environment that they're in and how they can best um, prepare themselves for their, for their performances. But yeah, consistency, consistency and discipline around what they do. Um, but then also understanding within that consistency, it's not about consistently just being going super hard and, and going, you know, always training at your top level because you can't. So there's certainly a, there's a psychological element to that, that I, I really try to make aware to athletes that you're probably going to, and it's, it's, there's a lot of research out there that's now showing that a lot of, you know, a lot of the top endurance athletes in particular, a lot of the work that they do, probably 80, 80 to 85% of it is actually well below what they're capable of because mm -hmm. they're just building up that training age, that history, that consistent physical um, exposure to the, to the training stimulus. Mm -hmm. And I, I'd say that to all athletes. There's a, there's a time to go really, really full on. 
Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a time to make sure that you just consistently tick along and keep things going because that's it's that base and continually raising that base. One of my one of my SNC um, colleagues that I work with, he says like a rising tide will ship, lift all ships. Love it. So you know, but that rising tide is a very slow moving thing, and it's that it's that slow moving continual improvement in all aspects that's the real key. Yeah. And then obviously every now and again, there's that what right? There's that blip. That's Nick Matthew getting the world championships against Rami Ashur. That's going to take him to another psychological and physical level. But he can't do that unless he's just, he can't do that all the time. And Nick and I have had a number of situations where we've, you know, come off the back of a big tournament. I remember he was on a run. I think he had four finals against Ramy in a row, and he won. He might have won. He might have won two. It might have been two and two. But there was one in particular that he just didn't perform in the way. So he just said mentally, Mark, it was just so hard to go there again. Hmm. Uh, and, it, and physically, you know, and that would impact on his physical capabilities. Yes. But yeah, I suppose that's the big thing for me is getting them to understand the training process and understand the nuances of it. And yeah, the fact yeah. that it does, you know, some athletes, some young athletes just want to just push, 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 push. And that's probably one of the biggest changes we made to one squash athlete over the years that I worked with is George Parker. The man's phenomenally intense. He's intense in all aspects of what he does. And it's actually saying to him, well, actually, George, this isn't going to be good for you physically long term. We need to put some stuff in place that, yeah, it's still a good training session, but it's not right up there. Mm -hmm. And him understanding that has allowed him to sort of, um, I guess, start to really utilize those real gifts he's got of being able to go really high intensity both mm -hmm. mentally and physically um without burning him out to some degree yeah i'm, I'm so um, keen to get him on the show because he uh, there's he i think we can explore so much about like you said intensity and and getting him to soften his 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 mental approach his physical approach i think laura talked about a lot about that there was a certain point in her career about the softening was actually a good thing and when she learned yeah. to soften it just yeah. it unlocks so much. It sounds like you might have had that type of conversation with George as well. Yeah, but it was very much focused on the physical side. You know, he's exploring things psychologically with people and, and his team. Um, but there's a, there's a link there. But um, yeah, yeah. So I suppose you know my messaging to athletes is 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 around that consistency is probably the key thing. Uh, and then putting in place and then understanding. Okay, what are the things that I think you need to do consistently? And then and helping them to structure it and put it into their training that they feel that they can deliver um, diligently and well over a long, long period of time. Yeah, that's such a powerful message, Mark. And I think, yeah, really, I'm going to take that on board and, and, and use that one. I love that rising tide. I've, I've heard it before, but the way you put it, it's great. And it reminds me of um, James Clear, Atomic Habits, a book I keep referring to. One of the big takeaway lines in that is, is when you're looking to form these habits that, that are lifelong habits, it's mastering the art of showing up. You might not be motivated. You might not do the best session. It might be rubbish. But actually, mastering the art of showing up is is way better than doing it when you're feeling great or when you're feeling bad. Uh, yeah, I just think that for me resonates quite a lot. It sounds like you're similar in that sense and that consistency yeah. and, and showing up time and time again, mastering it. Yeah, and there's no such thing as turning up at 100% of your capacity all the time. And you might turn up at 60%, but as long as you get the best out of that 60%, um, that's that's fine. Um, but yeah, exactly. Showing up, showing up, mastering the art of showing up. Great. It's a great comment. We might have again touched on this, but when you work with those athletes, what what signs do you think are exhibited early on that show they've got th this mental toughness and the resilience? Can you can you notice things within them that you go, hey, actually, this athlete's got that that with the glints in the eye or the or their behaviours, their attitudes? Anything come to mind when you when you work with athletes on that? Oh gosh, I, I, yeah, I guess it's uh, you know from a from a physical point of view, it's it's that it's that ownership, it's that. Um, it's that real 
clarity around um, trying to gain understanding and then delivering it themselves and, and you know, being independent to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I see that, then I think, okay, this person's taking control of it. Or actually, the really interesting thing is, is when an athlete takes what I've given them and they manipulate it in a way and come back to me and say, oh, Mark, I've done this, I've done this, and it's absolutely spot on for them. And I say, oh, why did you do that? And they'll, they'll uh, give me some real clarity around it. And um, and I, that's when I know that I've got someone who's going to do really, really well because yeah. they're actually thinking and engaging the process of understanding how they can utilize my um, my engagement to optimize their performance. And obviously, I've given them clarity on options and stuff like that. But then, you know, when they, they make those changes sensibly and intelligently, that really supports how they feel. Um and then consistently do that. that. That's when I can see. Okay, this is someone that's gonna gonna do it really, really well. Love that. But then, but yeah, that, that ownership of their program and and trying to understand it and and engage in every aspect of their of their program and, and squash players in particular are probably really good at that. Mm, no, that 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 speaks to me a lot. I think the idea of, of self determination, self awareness is is for me a big sign that. Um, Laura Masara talked about that, and and there was a certain point at, at a young age, and Nick sounds similar where he would be dictating to the coach what he needs to work on. You know, he was like, I need to work on this, this, and this. And he was really aware of it. And the second thing that comes to mind is you said that, and, and I'm sure you've read the book, Being a Kiwi, but but Legacy, James Kerr talking about, you know, the All Blacks, mm. the culture of the All Blacks. The, the one extract I got from that book was, I've got many, but the one that stood out in this conversation is that idea of, of fast learners. And, and, and they, they, they're looking for players who learn in the moment. So maybe you're touching on that where you give an athlete some information they go away, they they reflect on it and they come back to you with it. They're almost learning in the moment. I don't know if that links or resonates as much, but you know, I think I think that's that's why a lot of the and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way the Kiwis win so many matches in the last 10 minutes is because they've used the previous 70 minutes to learn so much about their opponents as well. And they can yeah. adapt a plan later on. So I don't know if there's a link there. I'm just on, on a different tangent. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, yeah. And yeah, and there's a yeah, what what allows someone to be a fast learner is an attitude. It's a it's an exposure to to various things that allow them to have to explore learning learning fast. Uh, and I suppose the thing, yeah, when you, you allude to the All Blacks, you know, you're talking about guys that are coming into an environment that have performed at, at a, an incredibly high level already. So they're taking those skills and putting into a situation where they can they're allowed to flourish, they're allowed to try, they're allowed to fail, and and doing that that's how they that, you know that's how they can learn. And I suppose there's something there for all of us that you know perfection isn't the thing we're after we're after sort of allowing people and you know by always wanting perfection you're not going to allow someone to explore what they do and I think um, I'm not sure um, you'll, you'll probably have more uh, I guess more knowledge around you know the English versus Egyptian approach to coaching but it, it does it does sound like there's it's, at certain stages there's a lot of freedom within the way the Egyptians are allowed to to um, express themselves and, and, and approach their development of their skills on, on court um although although you'll see you, see you see the same thing in some english players and it'll be really interesting to see um to see how that's been developed and there's one one athlete in particular that i worked with in gb boxing probably one of the one of the most amazing movers and physically most talented athletes I've ever seen. And, you know, he, as I said before, coming onto the GB program, you're already quite amazing. You're probably a national champion at probably 18, 19, 20 years of age, um, competing against men. Um, but the way he moved was unlike no other boxer. Now, he's got the physical qualities to allow him to move like that. Mm-hmm. But just because he's got those physical qualities, I would have been absolutely fascinated to see how his coach, through his club days as a young boy, 
um, allowed him to express that that movement capability and how they explored what he could do because wow. it, it was it was relative, you know and that's that's probably the thing for me is like yeah where's that freedom to actually try things and, and play around and see what you you can do that could actually unlock something in your performance. A great again a great message. So um listen I've got one or two more little things. You've been super generous with your time. I know you're a man in demand. But listen we've covered a, a huge amount of ground today and, and it's been so insightful. It's got me thinking about about really interesting ways to to look at it. But is there anything that you think that we haven't covered that you think could be an important message for for athletes and maybe maybe more of the younger athletes. I think we covered that at the beginning. But um a lot of the players I'm working with yes there's some pros but but you know really keen on that development side of athletes. So any anything that you think is important for them to hear? Um, I, I suppose it's, um, yeah, I suppose there's been a constant theme around like that consistency piece and, and understanding while we just talked about it now, understanding the need to have, you know, varying levels of, of, of intensity and engagement throughout your program, but actually just being kind to yourself in that respect, right? Just being, you know, don't be too hard on yourself psychologically if things aren't going as well as they, they can at a certain stage or you think they should be. Mm -hmm. It's just being knowing that by being consistent, you'll get through those phases and listening to the key people that you trust in your environment to support you through those periods of time. But yeah, just being just being a bit kind for yourself and, and you know, just having some real compassion for yourself and, and saying, okay, it's a bit tough at the moment, but I know that I've got a good team, I've got a good process, I understand what I'm doing, I'm just going to keep plugging away and, and you know, I'll get through. Um, but also just talking to people if you, if you are sort of, if it is a bit of a struggle at the moment and, and opening up to them, because you'll have most athletes, I think, and most people that are involved in supporting athletes are, are, are have have got really good intentions yeah. um so that's one of the things i think some athletes do push they, they do tend to feel they do tend to pressurize themselves much more and we hear it all the time you get all now social media people are throwing things mm -hmm. at athletes just say look whatever someone says to me on social media like trust me i'm i'm giving myself i'm, I'm challenging myself as much of that if not more yeah. but i think sometimes athletes have just got to understand that they are just human and that's probably the one reflection for me is that you know people look at these incredible athletes but that's what they're good at. They're good at that. Just like, you know, you know, Albert Einstein was good at figuring some stuff out that no one else could. Um, I'd imagine he's just a normal fella as well. Yeah. Um, and same with all the athletes. Everyone's got their own little individual quirks and personalities outside of their incredible capabilities within sport. And it's just, it's just a lot. It's just understanding you've got to be yourself and understand that. And um, yeah. Thank you. That that message for me is is just brilliant. And yeah, hopefully any, anyone listening to that, both senior pros, but but young athletes, be kind to yourself. It's kindness is, is such a such a powerful asset that I don't think we sometimes pay enough attention to. But in closing, what have you got coming up on the rise? And what what's Mark Campbell? What 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 what's your world looking like in the next six months to couple of years? What what's going on? Um, so in my role, I'm, I'm, my title is I'm a technical lead for, for the SNC team um, within the EIS network, and I, I look after the, the I, I sort of support and mentor and um, the SNC coaches within the northern region. So in sports like TKD, boxing, uh, cycling. Um, some disability sports and table tennis, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, that's about supporting those SSC coaches to perform their job really, really well and hopefully get their athletes into a great shape for the, for their major competitions. Obviously, Olympics and Paralympics being, being uh, two key ones this year, but then also the Commonwealth Games. Mm. Yeah. And, and for, for me, exploring my 
it's one of my capabilities as someone who supports others um, one step removed from the coaching environment. Yeah, and so then, slightly uh, different skill set you're having to maybe look at. It is, it is, yeah, and it's probably one that I, you know, I still love coaching. I still love, I, I've got a few, obviously, private clients that I work with, um, and I still love that aspect as well. But, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole different world to explore and, and supporting others to do, to, to do the job. Amazing. Well, listen, if, if, if your previous trajectory of your career is anything to go by, it looks like you're, you're setting yourself up with some really cool things and, and, and yeah, mentoring, inspiring future coaches, SNC coaches that can inspire the next generation of athletes and hopefully a few more English squash players that can get back into the top 10, top five of the world rankings because yeah. hey, we, we need it, don't we? We need a few more English players kind of going that way. <laughs> yeah. um, Listen, Mark, it's, this has been absolutely delightful. I hope it's been fun for you, stimulated your brain a little bit along the way. Um, and yeah, just thank you so much for your time and good luck in your future endeavors. You're welcome, Jesse. Presence. Process. Persistence. The essence of Squash Mind. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.